If you are a regular listener to this podcast, then you know that for the past seven months, a lot of the episodes have focused on my new book, I've Got Something to Say, out on Feral House Books. I've talked to the illustrators who contributed to the book, Gary Dumb, Gary Texali, Mary Fleener, Valiant himself, Juan Montoya, Fiona Smith, Away from Voivod, Brian Walsby. While over on Instagram, people who have purchased the book have sent me kind feedback. Some have even taken selfies holding the book or just the cover of the book. Every time someone sends me a photo, I screenshot it and save it because I love seeing them. Overall, I must say that response has been pretty much 100% positive, something I wasn't expecting on the eve of the book's release. My nervousness to release the book exceeded my usual excitement slash nervousness when releasing an album. With this book, I was a lot more vulnerable, and these days people have a tendency to be nasty online or at least blasé with the comments they leave. And still, it's been nothing but supportive and enthusiastic. So if you have bought a copy of the book, have read the book, or have even reached out to me with your response of it, I am very thankful and grateful for it. Now that there's been enough time for people to read it, it's not a long read at all. Some people are reaching out to me, and one of the most fun emails I got about the book was from Marty Friedman. Marty sent me an email saying he read the book, loved the book, and now wanted to debate me on an essay I wrote contained in it called Carrie King Made Me Do It, all about guitar picks and my stance on guitar picks. Now, knowing Marty Friedman is considered one of the best, if not the best, metal guitar player in the world, I was delighted to argue Marty on this. If there's anyone who is an expert on guitar picks, it's Marty Friedman. But I held my stance. And this is really what the book is about. Essays that were meant to spark debate or essays sparked from jovial debate in dressing rooms, van rides, bus lounges, airport gates, or at festival catering. Just rockers talking about rock and reveling in the different points of view. We did it when we were 14. We still do it to this day. Sometimes they get heated, but that's when it gets good. Before that, however, with my natural curiosity on all things Marty Friedman, I had to ask what he's been up to as well getting to sing on three tracks off his 2014 album, Inferno, I will forever be tied to Marty. But before all that, I was always a big fan of Cacophony and, of course, his time in Megadeth. In 2017, he released Wall of Sound and followed it up with his new live album, One Bad MF Live. Super proof of Marty's guitar prowess, if there ever needed to be. This is his fourth time on the podcast. He's already a member of the Black Coffee Brigade. The Black Coffee Brigade is a group made up of people who have been on the podcast three times or more. Usually, Marty jumps on here to talk about our mutual love of KISS and our mutual interest in talking about KISS and any recent KISS happenings. It's been a while since he was last on here, so we talked about other things. Living in Japan, so far away from us here in North America, I'm just glad Marty is putting out records and touring over here more these days. The world of heavy music needs him over here. I want to say a big thank you to everyone who has left cool feedback on this podcast in the iTunes stores. And in case you didn't know, the podcast is now available to be streamed on Spotify as well. Okay, here we go. Marty Friedman returns to the podcast. He is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. They play the kid as Danko's crew will tell over free and sound. Glad I like to sometimes give me in from fuck to stop playing hangs out now. Thank you for listening to the Danko Jones Podcast! You motherfuckers! It's fucking great! It fucking slays! Thank you for listening to the Danko Jones Podcast! You motherfuckers!
Michael Jones podcast with a finger on the pulse of what's going on culturally in the world. Wait a second. That's not his finger. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts now. Hello, Marty. What's going on, man? Hey, how you doing, man? Pretty good. How about yourself? Good, good. Good morning. All right. Good morning, man. Good afternoon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes the, the time zone really throws me off between Toronto and Tokyo. Oh, right. Yeah. So, What, what is it? Evening by you guys? Yeah, it's 9 p.m. here. Oh, cool. It's uh, 11 in the morning. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, um, man... It was great to get that email from you that you had uh, read my book and you enjoyed it and uh, I was flattered. So thanks a lot for picking it up and reading it and giving it a read. Dude, it was, a, it was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, just so many things that I just connected with. It was like so many things in common. And I just, <laughs> I just was like chuckling to myself. It's like, dude's reading my mind. And I got the book in front of me right now and when i saw the title that said musicians talking dante's nine circles of hell (laughs) there could not be anything more boring than two musicians talking (laughs) oh my god yeah i just love that title and then i think uh what you what you wrote about was a little bit different than what i expected it to be but it's still totally totally got it and just so many uh, insights that uh I could totally relate to and I'm sure that so many people could like relate to so many things and but never really had someone come out and say it, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, thanks a lot for that. I mean there was a few um kiss centric uh essays that were put in there for you, you know, people who were yeah. digging Kiss. So, um the solo album one and the color theory stuff, just like yeah. super yeah, super nerdy stuff that isn't even really nerdy because it's just an idea that I kind of shoveled a lot of BS on top of. And uh... <laughs> yeah, well, that's what makes it good, man. It's really, I really got a big kick out of so much of this stuff. Really, congratulations! A lot oh. of people are digging it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it was put out by Feral House, and it's that's the same book company that have put out. A few popular music titles like Lords of Chaos, which is now a movie about the mm. black metal scene in Norway, uh, Choosing Death, the history of death metal. But they also do like occult books and um, I don't want to say conspiracy books, but really outside of the box type of book. When they when they oh. do delve into the music side of things, it's really cool. Like the um, Yahuwah 13, the, the brother Zod, uh, the source uh, cult slash band slash religion book. And yeah, just all kinds of crazy, crazy ideas and crazy books. And um, the, cool. f- the founder is Adam Parfrey, who passed away earlier this year. But um, he pu- he wrote Apocalypse Culture and that kind of sets the tone for the whole imprint so i'm just flattered that they you know put out my book i've been reading their titles for god so much since i was like in high school like finishing high school so yeah it's 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 great to be aligned with with them because it's 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 great yeah i'm just happy about it and and then to get an email from you that you had read the book and you enjoyed it um that is the that is the that is what I was hoping for for like the two years that we worked on the book um, mm. to get an email like the one you sent me. That would be the final stamp of yeah. the whole process. Like that's yeah. what you're gunning for. So that yeah. was yeah, it really meant a lot. So thanks a lot for that. Oh, you're welcome. I just really really dug it. So many so many great points and. I was kind of surprised to note how incredibly knowledgeable 
you are about the genre of metal and kind of ashamed to say that I'm not like maybe even a tenth of as knowledgeable <laughs> as you are with all the details and all the bands and all the songs and all the titles. And uh, it really kind of, well, wow, I don't really know anybody who's this knowledgeable and it's really cool. Usually guys who are this knowledgeable aren't actually making music themselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, I just love it. I mean, you know, you and I share um, a fandom for Kiss and Kiss was the band that really got me to love it all. Like yeah. really go, like take the deep dive and just immerse yourself in this world that they right. kind of created. And it's funny that we're talking together because they just recently announced the, well, in air quotes, their end of the road farewell tour. Um, yeah. I think the whole kiss Army's kind of, I don't know. I think it really is the end, but it is three years. It's a three year long tour, but kiss are the band that really got me to, to be as an extreme a fan as I, I guess I am. I, I don't really think of myself as I'm, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that I, I'm saying out loud more like, who's this? Like, who's this band? Like when it's being played on the stereo, I, I'm starting to lose a grasp of the, the edge, if you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, well, you, you know, when you have a career yourself, you can't always put the same amount of energy into knowing all the minutia of, you know, band names and song names and credits and stuff like you do when, when you're a kid, you know, like everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, but now, I mean, when I do find a band that I really like, that's new, I really, I kind of, I latch onto them so hard because I'm trying to recapture how I, how I did it when I was a kid, how, how much mm -hmm. I latched onto them. So I, I, you know, I, I, I like, like, if there's a new band I like, I really like them, but sometimes I, I feel like I have to take an extra step just to feel that enthusiasm, like, I want to feel that youthful enthusiasm like I did. Um, but the one thing, yeah, I, I noticed that you were, um, you did the uh, Jamie Jasta podcast recently, and there was a there was a discussion, and it was great, by the way, and the discussion you guys had that really held my attention the most was how the two of you were talking about there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. And that's something that, I mean, I wasn't surprised to hear you say that because anyone who knows your background, your discography, and knowing you, you know, personally over the years now, you're musical tastes are so wide and varied it wasn't surprising that you guys went down you started talking about careless whisper because i love that album i love wham i love wham's first two albums so um you know i i, I get it you know and, and there's even an article in the book called like there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure and so yeah i, I you know i get it i get it well, i think that's maybe coming a little bit more into vogue nowadays than it was uh, when you and I were both kids. I mean, it would be a lot harder to admit that type of thing if we weren't both playing music for a living. You know what I mean? If we were just like kids in high school and your friends are all hanging out listening to the Sabbath or whatever the heavy thing was at the time, and then suddenly you say, well, actually, I like this, 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 and this. You know what I mean? It's a lot different now for us. Yeah. Than it was when when we were like fifteen and sixteen when that shit really really mattered, you know what I mean? And uh, I think so. Uh, hopefully, you know that trend will kind of. I don't know, man. It's kind of hard to say. You know, there's something about. Uh, I don't know what it's like for kids now, but there's just something about uh, being part of a group that we all love this super heavy music and we're really true to this group of heavy music. And if if we liked some other kind of music, we kind of keep it to ourselves or, you know, only let our girlfriends know about it or something <laughs> like that. You know, that's I guess that's normal for being a kid, you know, but like once you're especially when you're playing music for a living and you play a lot of things that require the finesse of 
knowing how a lot of other kinds of music are made, yeah, then then you know it's really it, there's no shame in saying it that you like this, 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 and this at that point. But I don't think a lot of 15 year olds have that kind of self confidence to like stand up to their buddies and and and, and say that uh, they like something that goes against the group of friends. You know, I agree. I mean, I didn't. I I stuck to heavy metal and rock and roll or hard rock or whatever. That was my bag growing up. And I, sure. you know, I went to school where there was a lot of preppies and people were into Depeche Mode and, and all this stuff. And they made fun of me because I was really in the minority. But mm. I quietly liked some of those Depeche Mode songs, you know. <laughs> and uh, And I bet they liked some of that metal that they would maybe see on tv if not here on the radio so yeah like it's i don't know i don't know what to think because in a way i i kind of miss how how much of a gang and a group it was and how much of a clubhouse it kind of was and now that everybody's kind of you know there's no you know, there's no real dividing lines, which is great in in some mm. respects, in a lot of respects. But yeah, I miss that kind of us against them. Yeah, I think I totally agree with you. I think what we really are missing, though, is that feeling of us against them. But it only really feels good if you're like 15 or 16 and mm-hmm. like cutting class to like smoke a joint. <laughs> that's when that stuff is just so cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. That stuff when you're like 30, it's just like, it's kind of lame. You know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just kind of like, it's just kind of lame. So I think what we both are nostalgic about is those times when you're like 15 and 16, because, you know, let's face it, that's the best. I mean, that's the best there is. You're discovering all the, all the great things that are about to come and happen to you. And, it's just a really great period of time. Even if it sucked at the time, it was still a great period of time. Yeah. No, it's so true. It's so yeah. true. And I, I remember when I was, you know, 15, 16. And back then, for me, it was like, you know, the the glam rockers against the thrashers or the punk rockers against the heavy metal guys. And and I quietly liked it all. I, I liked it all. You know, I loved and you can laugh at me, but I, I, to this day, I still love Look What the Cat Dragged In by Poison's first oh, album. Oh, are you kidding? That's great. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah, such a great album. So, oh, yeah. Who yeah. uh, <laughs> knew? But I didn't tell a soul. And I had the uh-huh. album. I didn't tell a soul. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. No, it's cool. But you are about a, what, a week or two... Um, into the release of your new album, a live album. Right. Um, and right. it's called um, One Bad MF Live. Right. And it's a double album, double live album. Now, did you take your cue from Kiss putting it out as a double album? That's, what, that's the first thought that came to my head. Oh, that's, what's Mar- that's what Marty's doing. Well, you know, a lot of respects. I mean, uh, I think, Kiss's two live albums are, and the and the albums that are in between those two live albums, are just such a, a stamp on the history of music and influence so many people that have made important contributions to music in in the world that uh, it can't be um, overstated that that whole thing. And uh, so when it came time to do a live album, of course I wanted some of the things that are on those two live albums, mainly being a fold out, you know, fold out so you can clean the stems and seeds of your pot in the middle of it. (laughs) And then now that the pot's legal everywhere, I find out that they don't have stems and seeds anymore. So it was all for nothing. Right. (laughs) But, uh, I wanted that in there. And, um, if you look at the back cover of the album, it's got four squares, just like kiss alive Two. Mm hmm has that type of thing nice. and uh, you know just the basic feel of the performance i mean everybody has solos on the record you know if you if you see how oh, it's marty friedman you might think it's just one guitar player you know soloing out but my thing is just it's a band it's so much like a band 
that um, on the album you can really see. I mean, everyone quite outshines me, to be honest. And there's, you know, drum solo, bass solo, other guy guitar solo, and I'm soloing all over the place. And it's really a wild, intense night all over. But, I mean, it's a very equal band type of feeling. And it's kind of an old-school live album feeling i was definitely going for that you know the audience is is definitely a cast in the cast of characters on the record i mean they play a big part in the record and and they they do a lot of participation with us and singing mm -hmm. along even mm -hmm. though there's no words and right and they're just doing a lot of great audience stuff and i just remember as a kid you know we didn't have dvds to actually watch the concerts when we listened to the live album you, your imagination just takes you to this this place, this venue that all kinds of crazy shit's going on in there, and bombs are going off, and and everybody's just having a wild time in there, and you, you're just imagination runs wild, and um, I wanted that feeling on the record, so you know our our performance was two hours, so to put that into two albums, that has to be like about seventy. 78 minutes or so to fit on cd so i really edited it in a fashion that made it feel like the big live albums that you and i both grew up with you know the kiss ones of course the ramones ufo live fog hat blue oyster cult all of those great live albums had this pacing about it that uh i really recreated and i'm really happy with the way it came out and and especially with vinyl coming back, which which you also mentioned in your book, um, I think that is a super way to really enjoy a live album. You know, you 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 play it on the vinyl and you look at the big pictures and you read the big liner notes and you you just have something to do while you're imagining what's going on in this venue. So I kind of wanted that experience again in something that I released, and I wanted a document of how cool I think my band is at this point. And, uh, you know, that's basically what it was. It's a very typical show on, on tour. So it came out really good. Now, um, was this, was the album culled from, uh, more than one performance? No, it's just one show it's, straight, wow. straight down. That's, we just, that's uh, amazing. Put up, a, you know, put it up and, and rocked it. And, um, the only songs I really cut out were songs that uh, were on a previous live album that I did um, in 2007. And um, in, in, in almost Kiss fashion, you know, when they did Kiss Alive 2, they didn't put any of the songs that were already released on Kiss Alive 1. Right. So I, I didn't want to re repeat too much. There's like maybe two songs that were on the first live album. But uh, the pace of the live show was the top priority you know it was just one it was one show in mexico city and uh you know i knew that like if we had a problem in a song that i planned to stop and do the song again and tell the audience you know we're doing a live album so we had to do the song again but it didn't happen it was wow. just a show just uh went by completely normal and a lot of good happy accidents in there you know that's not it's not perfectly everything is not perfectly accurate or anything like that and we don't even play with a click on most of the songs so uh, a lot of things were crazy it sounds i mean it's a perfect performance as a live album goes um having put out a couple of live albums myself and in the past having sworn to never do that <laughs> and, then, and then and then putting out two uh and then two live dvds as well Going into the recording of these things um, is, is you get in, at least for me, I get into a mindset that I don't think a lot of people really experience, even if you're a musician, knowing that this next show is going to be forever and you, you know, basically zero fuck ups. And so that <laughs> that 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 really plays on with my head, and uh, I try to like you know kind of in the in the in the last second just go ah forget it let's just go out and who cares what happens, right? Well, that's exactly when it happens. It's the last second, or or actually the first second. The first second you start playing, 
you're you're like, oh well, this is what I've been doing every day for the last X number of weeks. And right. I just do it. Just do it again. <laughs> and then uh, about halfway through the first song, you forget that it's anything different than any other show. And um, I was really more concerned about like any kind of uh, equipment failure mm. that might possibly mar a otherwise really good performance. That would have been. I'd rather like leave a halfway not a perfect performance i'd rather leave a kind of bad performance on tape than have an awesome performance that gets ruined and can't go there at all that would really piss me off if that makes any sense you know sometimes like you're just having these godlike performances and for whatever reason that doesn't get used or it gets erased or something like that would piss me off more than having a less than perfect performance that goes out it's it's kind of stupid sounding but you know i really because sometimes it magic happens and you really love that one moment and for not for that moment not to actually make it to people's ears that really 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 grates on you i think that's the punk rock in you um Mm. being okay with that um you know uh, yeah i mean i mean unless it's like a serious uh train wreck (laughs) Um, you know, which which can happen, you know, our music has got a lot of twists and turns in it, but, uh, unless it's a serious train wreck, um, usually I'm completely fine with any little inaccuracies. And sometimes the inaccuracies are better than what I was intending to do in the first place. So I'm, I'm cool with that, but just, I really hate when there's a technical difficulty that prevents something cool that was about to happen, that, that that gets my go. And that happens in the actual recording studio sometimes too. Mm. You know, if there's an assistant who doesn't have, doesn't have you in record, (laughs) we've all got those stories. I just laid the solo of my life. Just, Oh, it happens. It happens. (laughs) You know that, but when, if that happened enough in, in my early part of my career that, that I actually developed the ability to do anything again, if I've done it once, I can do it again. So, Mm. This is a. It, it's it's really important, I think, for anyone to know that they are able to do that. Sometimes there are nuances of what you do that there's no way you could ever do it again. But um, at least you can repeat what you just played again, even if it's weird and unorthodox. So that is something. Luckily, I developed in an early age. But uh, sometimes, like when the magic gets killed because of somebody's fuck up, then then you're really pissed. You know, on one of um, our last live album we put out, I think about three, four years ago, from Vakken Open Air, they put out oh. a live DVD with a live album on vinyl, double album oh. like you like you were mentioning. But <clears throat> there's a couple of songs where I basically forgot the lyrics, and it's there <laughs> forever. <laughs> it's there forever, and I, I, I volley back and forth whenever uh, I, I heard it recently, and I just. It was so cringeworthy. I just, it was like torture. But but did you say the wrong lyrics, or you just skipped out lyrics altogether? I I basically forgot the verse. You can hear it. I forgot the verse, and so what I started to do was just nonsense vocables that yeah. kept with the time and 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 the rhythm, you know. And <laughs> usually at a show, it happens at least once or twice every show we ever play. But it's well, not it's not part record. of the show. I know, but I and I walked off stage just going, it wasn't the best show. It was seven out of ten for me, and I just wish uh, they caught a nine out of ten show at least. You know? uh, so it, you know, it is uh, what it is. But you just gotta live with, yeah. So I mean, it's a snapshot, if anything. Right, that's rather, a good point, though, with the seven out of ten thing, because I always, always feel that. Uh, it's a seven out of 10. It always is. It, 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 you know, I always know that I could, I could have done much, much better. Um, and it, it always is seven out of 10. It's not like there's nines and there's fours. And, and I think the only time when it's a 10 out of 10 is like rare times in the studio when just for whatever reason, things are just happening. But I I think the, the key to that is to keep yourself, 
so in tune with what you're doing and so in shape, so to speak, with what you're going to do and well rehearsed and, and all all juiced up and ready to go that even your seven out of 10 is pretty damn good. And right. Because because right. if you think, oh, if, if I'm if I if I'm at, if, if I'm not at a nine or a 10, then I'm just going to mope around and be pissed off at myself. That's not that's not good. But I think the good thing is to be just so well oiled machine that even your seven or even a six is fucking amazing. Right. And that's what I try to do, because you can't kick yourself all the time for not because it's really rare to be your ultimate best all the time. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, those shows happen. I mean, I've given myself 9 out of 10 and 10 out of 10 in the past, but not, they don't happen very often. They don't happen at every show. And then if you do that still, when someone's going to come up to you after a really shitty show and say, dude, it was the best show of my life. I've never seen anything. They, they just, you know, blow so much sunshine up your skirt. They really legitimately loved the show. And to me inside, I'm like, fuck, didn't you hear the third song? I completely, <laughs> where, where the fuck were you? There was like no guitar in the, it was in the monitors. It sucked. But you can't say that. But then, no. then you have what you think is like, this is the best show of my career. And then you go out and you're meeting people and you know, I saw you in Stockholm. It was a better show. There was, it was very lackluster tonight. There's something. Yeah. So like, there's no point in judging yourself too much about all this stuff. There was there was a one show I really remember like I think we played it last year and it was a great show I can't remember where but I walked off going that was a good show and our sound our our tour manager came backstage and he goes good show boys and I just felt like going that's you're damn right that was a good show <laughs> um so yeah there's some there's some nights where everything just locks up and you know, everybody. Yeah, but you're right. And also, I've learned over the years that if someone does come up to you and, and say that it's a great show tonight and you don't agree in your head, you you can't say anything. You have to just. Oh, absolutely you know, not. Like, you're going to crush the guy. For yeah. Life. Yeah. You can't. And kids remember that kind of stuff. Yeah. Everything you do. You know, you got to be nice. You got to just be nice. Oh, yeah. It, it took me yeah. a couple of years to realize that, like. No, that's not what they're thinking. They're not alongside <laughs> you in your mind, along for this ride. They've they're on but their own ride. It's different things that make the show good for people. You know, it's yeah. like a lot of the things leading up to the show. You know, their girlfriend bought him the ticket or whatever, got his first blowjob in the car on the way to the show. <laughs> right. There's a lot of other things that make the whole night really good, and it, it really doesn't involve whether you're not, you could hear yourself in the monitor and you were yeah. a little bit out of tune for the first half of the set. Those aren't like the factors in that guy's good show. Yeah, it's true. You know? Everyone's living yeah. their own, their own show, you know, so to totally, speak. totally. You can't even get involved. Just like be happy for them <laughs> and, and go on with the day. And then, then the opposite happens where, yeah, you're like, you're saying like they do critique what you thought was the best show of the tour yeah. And, and, you know, they're on their own trip. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. <laughs> I remember that happening one time. I just thought it was the best show ever. And some dude was complaining about something. <laughs> I'm like, I finished this. Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to go out and have people blow sunshine on my skirt because this show is great. And I'll agree with them. Honestly, agree with them. It's, you know, I, you fucking Sweden was a good show, but tonight uh, something you're missing something. You know? <laughs> oh, the fuck is wrong with you? But if they honestly felt that way, then I'm totally into hearing it, actually. Hmm. And and I actually prefer to hear, like, honest, honest criticism. Like, I really felt that, uh, you know, your bass player wasn't loud enough or whatever. Whatever it is they felt, I'm way more interested in hearing that than... Uh, than just the random oh it was great you know I, yeah. i'm really interested in those honest opinions and um i'm really interested in what they have to say on that type of thing and and, and it's so appreciated um i was about to say something of, of value and it just totally slipped out but i think uh it, am i making sense this this whole thing could be cut out i'm about to say something that really matters and, and then it didn't 
didn't come out. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. So sometimes when I'm speaking English again, it's weird. It's 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 weird. I don't I talk this stuff in English very much. Yeah, I have to remember that every time I talk to you that you are immersed in J- Japan. I mean, that's and then you're yeah. Kinda... I just finished a, a radio interview in, in Japanese. I'm going to do another thing right after this. So sandwiched in between completely unrelated stuff. Is is me talking normal, cool stuff with you? So <laughs> it's really it's kind of thrown me for a loop. But uh, well, do check it out. I want to make sure that we get this topic in there. I want to talk about guitar picks because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I read I read your uh, reading. Uh, whoever's listening to this, you gotta get this book because there's just so many things that will interest you. Especially if you're listening to this podcast, you're just going to be blown away at how many cool things this book has in it. But in like 99.9%, I was like, this is, I totally agree. The only two things that I didn't agree with, and maybe we'll get to the other one, is the, the Sabbath thing. The Sabbath thing. But I, I definitely, I definitely want to talk about that. But I definitely want to talk about guitar picks because I was actually surprised at your stance on the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I was totally with you because I do the exact same thing. I have a guitar pick collection, but I don't collect religiously. And oftentimes if, if I'm in a studio, there's like picks around and, and it's like, oh, this, this dude's picks here. I'll like pick it up and keep it. Yeah. And I have like a ton of picks like that or like at gigs or Texel, like, you know, have them on my amp. I'm like, that's not my pick. And I'm like, oh, I'll just take it. And so I wind up with tons of picks. And um, so I've collected them like that, but it's not like I've tried to collect them. But if there's something cool in front of me, I'll, I'll keep it. So it sounds like exactly like what you've done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like we're like exactly on the same page there. But then <laughs> like you said something about not throwing out picks during the show because people, they don't wind up getting them or they fall on the ground or they, they don't go to the intended person or I'd like you to elaborate on that and then and then I'll chime in with my thing because I just thought it was it was just cracking me up. It was just cracking me up. Well, it's I've always found it ridiculous how the guitar player in the band will throw out a pick in the crowd and the sometimes we're talking festival arena sized shows and you're supposed to find this needle in a haystack like i'm supposed to go for this pick you're throwing like it's fuck n- yes it's it's <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah you're supposed to go for that pick dude no man because that yes. is no that's yes that's so small it's such a small little item it's like it's like throwing a grain of rice it, but i would have thought you of all people would think that if you actually got that pick, it's like the holy grail. I mean, if you're at like one of your favorite concerts, like you're at like Kiss in 77 and there's a pick that even goes anywhere remotely near you, that you're going to like just barricade, ba- just barrel through all the people in the audience to get that pick. I already know I, I'm never going to get it. Wow, my God, I'm totally blown away. Yeah, and because... I'm totally blown away. Also, remember... In it, I think we have a tendency in our mind's eye to think that the lights are on. The lights are off at the show. Yeah, the lights. You were talking total darkness. Are you? Are you? Are you expecting me to believe that I'm going to find this tiny little penny-sized pick in complete darkness with thousands of other frothing fans? It happens though all the time. People come up and say, "Dude, I caught your pick at this show. I caught your pick at that show." It, you know, sometimes it doesn't fall on the th- on the floor. You know, sometimes it'll hit a guy. One time it hit a guy in the forehead and it stuck to his forehead. He didn't know it was there. <laughs> so we're in the pan watching this dude with the, this black pick in the middle of his forehead. And we were just dying. It's like, dude, you got a pick. You got a pick. He doesn't even notice it. Well, he. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes the dudes will actually catch the pick. Or sometimes you'll throw out, like Paul Stanley used to throw out, like loads of picks, or Rick Nielsen would just throw out, like 50 picks at once. And, yeah, like, that's, can, I'm, I'm behind that. I, I get you're that. You're behind that. Yeah. I, I, cool with that. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. But, dude, dude, another thing the thing about throwing the picks out 
and it's not necessarily about whether anybody catches it or not, is how cool does it look when the guitar player wings a pick like X number of feet or meters or far, like it, it's like this Japanese shuriken or something. It's just like wings over to the audience at high speed. And like it, it, it's just like this outer space type of thing. I mean, don't you think that's cool? Yeah, but it never happens. Dude. Oh my God. I, let me tell you the first time I used to, I've, I've thrown out my picks since, since I was like 14. But then one time I did, um, I think I was with Megadeth at the time. We did a festival with Joan Jett and the guitar player and her band through his pick. I saw this pick all the way from the stage to like the whole other end of the arena. I could see the thing fly all the way out. I'm like, Oh my God this guy's a master and he was just winging these picks fast and far. I'm like, dude, I got to get like that. So like I got pretty decent, never nowhere near as good as that guy. That guy was just, I never seen anything like it, but it looks cool to like wing a pick really far. And the farther you wing it, the more of a chance is that more people see it and somebody's going to catch it. Okay. I'm going to give you the flip side to that. And I say it in the, in the essay, but isn't it cooler for the person playing, the performer, to hand it to you with with my own hands into your hands, like it's during some... the show. Yes, during the show. Yes, but not during the show. Don't you agree that it'd be cooler to receive something that was actually being played in the show? Well, I always have like a bunch of when I'm on the whole tour, even when I'm at home, I always keep at least two to three picks, if not eight. In my back, in my right back pocket, so I'm always, I always have them. They're always there, and when I'm doing laundry, I have to like some of them. You know what I mean? So, if someone, someone is always coming up to me asking for a pick, I give it to them personally. I, I, this is for you. This is, I, I don't give them the whole ramble, but the, the, the I, I go here. You go, like there you go. It's like that's I'll buy that. That exchange, cool. it's one on one. It's like this, and then I go. Sometimes I go. Oh, I, I use this, so you can't really see the logo on. It's been, it's been rubbed off. So that, that's real. That, that's that's real. That's total. I totally get it. I totally. It's like real. Um, what do you call it? It's real organic, and it's it's super nice, super fan service. And I agree that is that is super important. But I would think, for me as a fan, the holy grail, it'd be like catching a foul ball at a game, you know what I mean? Actually, you saw the guy playing a song, and then he threw the pick, and you got that pick. Um, just as a fan at that actual show. But it would take, it would take 2,000 picks to make a, a, a big enough object like a baseball. Oh, like, that's why, that's why it's so valuable. That's why it's so valuable mm, and, and so mm. treasured. But, but I used to remember with, with kiss, I mean, they would just toss him out constantly. I mean, especially Paul, because he's barely playing. You know, he's just kind of, <laughs> he's kind of, you know, just playing the chords once and the other guy plays the other chords. And, but I love that as a showman because he's, there's so many souvenirs and often he'll like throw them out. Like, just to the barely in the front row. So like you can see if you're right there, you can see that he's like about to throw a pick and, and, and kind of nicely lob it your way and not like wing it out in the middle of nowhere. But I just always loved watching like Rick Nielsen throw out loads of picks and it's just like raining picks in there. And just as a fan, I just thought it looked cool whether or not I got one or not. You know, I've never caught a pick in an audience. Like you said, it's like needle in the haystack. But like guys do it and like pick guys really do it. I mean, the pick the pick collectors. And and uh, I just uh, was surprised that you thought it wasn't cool to throw out at the <laughs> concerts. Because I would have thought you would be the guy that I would be thinking is throwing them out in the concerts. Well, these essays end up being written because it's a, it's the end of a rant that I've really gone off on. Yeah. And so I, I can, I, I don't remember the moment, but I'm pretty sure it was like at a show and someone kept asking me to toss them a pick. And then I probably got off stage oh. and I just go, why I'm not going to toss them a pick. They're not going to catch it. And then I go, right, you get, you gave me a very good point. 
these are the guys who you don't want to throw a pick to. The guys that are saying, give me a pick, give me a pick. And they've got signs, throw me a pick, throw me a pick, and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. That really is like, man, are, that what are you here for? That up your runway, man. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> but you wanted, you would have given that guy a pick. You would have given that guy a pick had he not asked for a pick. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, when we're, you know, moseying around the club during the day and sometimes, I mean, it's happened. It happens in Spain a lot of all places, but they show up with their collection at soundcheck and they go, do you have a pick? Of course, I got to give that guy a pick. Yeah. These guys are the best guys in the world. These guys, I'd love to give them picks. Yeah. And, and my tech will have picks from other tours and shit. So I'm like, talk to that guy and he'll give you even better picks and stuff. And these are the ultimate guys. Yeah. But, um, but the guys in the front, like with the sign, well, it's, you know, it's all in love, you know, so you love these guys too. They're there. They want it. But like, they don't realize that you're trying to play a song and you're trying (laughs) to like entertain other people and, and having a sign in your face kind of makes you want to go on a rant like you did. So I, I totally, <laughs> totally get it. Yeah, like, and, and I just think that would you appreciate a Rick Nielsen pick that was thrown with a hundred other picks? Or, oh, yes. or oh, yes. would you appreciate like Rick Nielsen giving you a blank pick that no one will ever believe it's from, it's a cheap trick pick, but he hand delivered it to you. Which one would, I would you take? I would take the one in the concert. <laughs> <laughs> that that was another good <laughs> section of your book. You had great questions like this, and uh, <laughs> you had great questions like this. They were like, uh, "What do you call them?" Um, oh, the a word in Japanese for for it, but I don't know it in English. Like not Aesop's Fables, but like moral moral questions. <laughs> I think I would go. I that that kind of confetti of picks. If I were to get one from there, I would have like. I would have had goosebumps getting that thing. Really? So, like, if you, Rick, you would get one, and then you can show all your friends, like, I was there, I caught this, it's got his face on it, it's got cheap trick on it, but then I show up, and I go, he gave this to me personally. And he said, (laughs) he said, you know, I, um, uh, yeah. See, this is what two 15-year-olds would be arguing about. I love it. I would take the blank pick. And and to prove it, I actually, we recorded an album at uh, Dave Grohl's studio, 606, years ago. Yeah, that's and, where I did uh, um, my last album, Wall of Sound. Great place. Oh, oh, amazing. I mean, it's amazing. And I love the neighborhood. I love it. It was yep, great. Yep. It's such a great little studio. And you can really mm-hmm. kind of zone in as well. It's really nice. But on the, uh, we had to take a break during this session because the foos had to... Uh, rehearse and that was cool by us because we were we were we we were in anyways it, it, long story but it was cool when the, when they were finished practicing i found one of his picks on the floor but it was it was used so you could only barely there was no foo fighters there's nothing you could just see like i think it was a, a like a cat on the guitar pick but right I use that to record uh, successive albums, like the albums we did later. <laughs> that pick. That pick. I used it because it was. Um, I always use bass picks to play to play, and so sometimes right. when you need a little bit of finesse, you need that light. You know, that light pick to right. to get in right. there. So, so I was like, ah, I've got the pick. So I would always bring it to this album we just finished. Is the first album that I didn't use the pick. And I go, oh, I forgot the pick. <laughs> you still have the pick? I still have the pick. Um, oh, but wow. but that, but but no one would believe me if I said, this is Grohl's pick. So not that Grohl is anyone to like, you know, but it was cool that I found it on the floor and, you know, he was in Nirvana. So it was kind of cool. Oh, Grohl is a god, man. I, yeah. I would have used that pick for sure. Yeah. Um, I have the exact same story, dude. I was in... Uh, I was recording the album Rust in Peace and Mike Klink was producing and he had just finished Guns N' Roses. Right. And and I was having trouble on one of the rhythm guitar parts. They're really quite tricky. I was having trouble with it. And I saw a slash guitar pick, you know, on the console. I'm like, oh, let me try this pick. Nailed the thing in one take with Slash's pick. And so it's the exact same story. 
it's the exact same story that that you just told me. It was something that was there from a previous session. Yeah. And the the mojo is is somehow you know because you and I were both fans. You know, I mean that stuff means something to us. You know, whether or not it's who our absolute hero is or not, it's still irrelevant. It's people that we respect and yes. we admire, and 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 then we hopefully we'll get a little bit of magic from it and yes lo and lo and behold the magic comes sometimes yes that's definitely that's what i guess that was the bigger picture or what i was trying to relate in the essay as well it's like yeah it's not about trying to catch the pick it's it's about just in, I don't know what, the, I don't know what kind of moral I was trying to pass on, but yeah, that was. No, crazy. I mean, it's a totally, totally a valid point, a valid point. It's, I just thought it was so funny that our opinions differ on it <laughs> because we're so, we were so in line up until that point in the, in the article. I'm like, <laughs> oh, he took it to the left turn. I'm like, but that's cool. I mean, everybody has a different opinion, which is, which is absolutely makes things more fun. Make, oh. Gave us something to talk about. Oh yeah, definitely. There's someone in in our camp, and um, he he always gives me uh, picks with all the bands he works with. He'll come back and he'll give me a bag of picks. And uh, when I told him about this essay I was writing, he did not agree. He was very annoyed by it. Really? So, yeah, we had some good discussions about it. So when you brought up the guitar picks, I was like, Oh yeah, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah, you're ready. <laughs> I kind of got a bail right now. Unfortunately, I got to do the the other interview that I was yeah. sandwiched in and go into Japan mode. But this was really the highlight of my uh, <laughs> highlight of my day for sure. Getting to chat about this stuff and uh, congratulate you on this cool book. Oh, thank and congratulations and, on the on the live album. It's stellar. Ah, uh, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Okay, man. Thanks a lot, Marty, for this. Thank you so much. My pleasure, man. Let's do some more. Stay in touch. Okay. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot, Danko. Take care. Bye. Bye. I'm always ready. Let's get busy. Burn a dollar.